We are so glad you've joined us today for our Thursday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we are continuing our study in the book of 2 Samuel. So let's listen in now to Pastor Dave. Soon your trials will be over. Good evening. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to put a Bible in your hand. You want to be able to see what I go over here, okay? So raise your hand. You want to be able to see what I am going to go over here tonight. You're here to keep me accountable, all right? Then don't pull, pull the wool over your eyes or anything like that, okay? So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6. We're going to begin here tonight, 2 Samuel chapter 6. As we left off last time, in chapter 5, it's weird how we do that, huh? You know, I, I, I know of other ministers that constantly are racking their brain week after week. What am I supposed to teach? What am I supposed to teach? Lord, what is it this week? I've got to tell you something. This is what I love about going through chapter and verse. I just have to pray, okay, Lord, what book of the Bible do you want me to go through? That one? Okay, great. And then once I hear that, I go to chapter 1. In the following week, it's chapter 2. following week after that, chapter 3 and 4. And that's how we go through it. There's no brain damage with that, you know. I know where he wants me to be. He wants me in the next chapter so he can finish the book. So, where that's, I, you know, I need it easy, basically, is what he's showing me. But anyway, 2 Samuel chapter 6. So, David has now led his uh, people and his army there to Jerusalem. Uh, they uh, defeat the Jebusites, and it's while they're there in Jerusalem that the Philistines now come. They see that David has consolidated everybody, that everyone's behind him. He whoops up on them twice, okay? And so here in verse 1, it says, Again, David gathered all the choice men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose, went with all the people who were with him, from Baal, Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts, who dwelled between the cherubim. So, David, he gets 30,000 men, and he goes to bring up the ark from the house of Abinadab, that we'll find out in verse 3 there. Uh, 30,000 choice men is probably speaking of his army. I believe that one of the reasons why he takes 30,000 probably soldiers is that you might remember that the story when the ark was captured by the Philistines, David probably still has that fresh in his mind. And just as David has just chased the Philistines back to Gezer, we're told in chapter 5, that's close to the town of, of, of Kirjath-Jerim where the ark was located. This is where he's going to have to go. It's been there for 70 years. We're told. First Samuel chapter 7. That's the last that we see the ark being placed somewhere. And it's in Kirjath Jerim in the house of Abinadab. And so um, we know that the ark of the covenant is what uh, Moses was told 400 years before. He's going to make this ark. The word ark means box or chest. Uh, it is covered with gold, with ornate gold. The lid or the top known as the mercy seat is solid gold. It's, it's a box of acacia wood that's overlaid in gold, but the lid is solid gold, and that's known as the mercy seat. The Ark of God is about three feet, nine inches long, approximately, two feet, three inches wide, approximately, two feet, three inches high, approximately. And inside is the tablets of the law that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. There's a jar of manna. There's Aaron's um, 
you know, um, staff that budded. And so this is what they're going to go to retrieve, to bring into Jerusalem there. So it says in verse 3, So they set the ark of God on a new cart, brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, and Uzzah, Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord of all kinds of instruments, fir wood of harps, stringed instruments, tambourines, sistrums on cymbals. A lot of music being played, a lot of rejoicing going on. This is a joyful time. We're bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem. This is on David's heart. He understands that the very presence of God is between the cherubim there on the lid. And so if he can bring the Ark of the Covenant there in Jerusalem, then the very presence of God is going to be in their midst. And this is what David always desires his whole life. I just want to be in the presence of the Lord. And it's a great desire of his to want to bring the presence of God into their midst. And so they're rejoicing. This is a happy day. This is a happy occasion. And so they're rejoicing with all sorts of music. And then in verse 6, it says, And when they came to Nacon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God, took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error. And he died there by the ark of God. And David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? Very happy occasion. This was supposed to be a great day. We're rejoicing. We're bringing in the presence of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, God breaks out his wrath upon Uzzah, who who is just there to, to keep the ark from falling off the cart. Seems to me is that he he was doing a good thing. He's putting his hand on there to keep it so it's not falling over and all the contents, you know, spill on the ground and seems like a very, very good thing. But God's word makes things very clear. Too much is given, much is required. We are responsible for what it is that he has spoken to us and what it is he has said to us. We are responsible for that. In Exodus 25, verse 10, go there for for a moment. Just go to the book of Exodus chapter 25, verse 10. This is God speaking to Moses of how they're going to make the Ark of the Covenant. In Exodus 25, verse 10, it says, And they shall make an ark of acacia wood. Two and a half cubits shall be its length, a cubit and a half its width, cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold inside and out. You shall overlay it and shall make on it a molding of gold all around. You shall cast four rings of gold for it. Put them in the four corners. Two rings shall be on one side, two rings on the other side. You shall make poles of acacia wood. Overlay them with gold. You shall put the poles into the rings of the sides of the ark that the ark may be carried by them. So God's saying, this is how the ark should be carried, not on a new cart, but upon the poles, upon your shoulder as you put it through 
the rings that are there. And that's how you're supposed to lift and carry it out. The pole shall be the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. In Numbers chapter 4, verse 15, we are given further instructions of this, of exactly who is supposed to actually carry the ark. In Numbers 4.15, it says, When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the sanctuary and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is set to go, then the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them. They shall not touch any holy thing lest they die. So it seems to be that the sons of Kohath are the ones that are given specific instructions. They're one of the four sons of Levi, so they're Levites also, but this specific group are the ones supposed to carry the things, the holy things of the Lord, and yet they're not supposed to touch them lest they die. Lest they die. So, specific duties of exactly how it's supposed to be carried and by specific people. Now, last time we saw the ark on a cart was when the Philistines did that. They sent back the ark of the covenant on a new cart with with young oxen that have never been trained before. They were already being punished. They were already, the God's wrath was already breaking out upon them as they had God's presence in a heathen midst, and he caused tumors and all sorts of things to take place upon them. They recognized that was from the Hebrew God. And so let's really see about that and let's, let's give a sacrifice of, of forgiveness. We'll put gold tumors and gold rats on there and then we're going to send the, the, the cart out with these two oxen that have never been you know, reared before. And so they find their way back to Beth Shemesh. And so by placing the ark on the cart, they, they don't get judged for doing that because they don't know the proper way. Okay, they don't know the problem. They were getting judged before, but as they placed it on that cart, and here you have the sons of Abinadab, that David himself, that even with all the Levitical priesthood around and with everybody else singing, for some reason no one seems to say, hey, this is not the proper way that we're supposed to do that. And I would submit to you is because for whatever reason, they didn't really know the word of God, even the priesthood. I've ran into many a minister in my time that I could look them straight in the eye and go, wow, you really don't know the scriptures. And they apparently didn't know the scriptures. So, Exodus 25, 22, Moses, in reference to the Ark of the Covenant, says there... Uh, God telling him, there I will meet you. I will speak with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are on the ark of the testimony about everything which I will give in commandment to the children of Israel. This is why David had such a heart to bring the ark of the covenant into Jerusalem is because this is where God dwells. This is where he's going to meet with them. And David so desperately wants to be in the presence of God. Before we go any further, I want us to... Think back here when you, when you think of the totality of God's word, when you think the totality of the scriptures, and you think of David and you think of Solomon. It's interesting to me that whenever the scriptures speak of Solomon or David, it views David's kingdom as being greater than Solomon's kingdom. Yet in Solomon's kingdom, he didn't have any wars. He, uh, the, 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 they had more landmass than they've ever had. Prosperity was at its height under Solomon's rule. Not so under David's. 
But yet when God looks back, when history looks back, when we look through, through the lens of the word of God, it is David's kingdom that is the preferred kingdom, is the blessed kingdom, will be the eternal kingdom. And the question for that is, why is that? As a matter of fact, when you go through the word of God, Solomon is only mentioned like three other times in God's word after you get past, you know, Proverbs that speak about, you know, this is a proverb from Solomon. But when it's actually just talking about Solomon as a person, he's only mentioned three other times. And it's always in some sort of a negative connotation. When it comes to Nehemiah, Nehemiah speaks of him, and and Nehemiah, when he's talking to the Levites, the priests, he says this, Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. How would you like it for the rest of your life, eternity, that whenever your name was mentioned, there was always something negative attached to it? Or a lesser comparison. Jesus did this. Jesus says, yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. He's talking about the lilies of the field. He's talking about the birds in the air, how God takes care of them. Look at the bright colors. Look how beautiful they are. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like them. Jesus, speaking of himself, says, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. And he was speaking of himself. Yet, when David is mentioned time and time again, he's seen as God's servant. Psalm 89, 3, I've made a covenant with my chosen. I've sworn to my servant David. Psalm 132, 17, there I'll make the horn of David grow. I'll prepare a lamp for my anointed. Isaiah 9, 7, of the increase of his government, peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David over his kingdom, to order it, establish it with justice and judgment. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And on and on and on, just too many to even mention after that. Scripture after Scripture speaks of David as being God's anointed, his servant, his blessed house forever. God even told Samuel that David was a man after his own heart. But why was he a man after his own heart? I want you to go to Second Chronicles 1. Of these kings asked for something. Second Chronicles chapter 1. Verse 6, And Solomon went up there to the bronze altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of meeting, offered a thousand burnt offerings on it, and on that night God appeared to Solomon. God actually appeared to Solomon twice, by the way. Twice. And it says, And, and, and that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask, what shall I give you? And Solomon said to God, You have shown great mercy to David my father, have made me king in his place. Now, O Lord God, let your promise to David my father be established for you. Have made me king over a people like the dust of the earth and the multitude. Now give me wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people, for you can judge this great people of yours. And God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, And you have not asked for riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked long life, but have asked wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people or whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you, and I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any have after this life. Here's the thing. Great thing to ask for. 
But I'm here to submit to you that what David asked for was even greater than that. I want you to go to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Psalm 27, David says this, starting in verse 4. He says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The one thing that David asked for, the one thing that he desired was fellowship with the Lord. If there's only one thing I can ask for, I'm going to ask for this, that I can fellowship with you. That I can dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. In Psalm 84.10 he said, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Give me any job you want. Give me the most menial job, Lord, whatever it is, so long as I can be with you. That is why God told Samuel, there's a man that is, has a heart, heart after me. And that was David. David had a heart after God's. Why? Because that's exactly what God desires from us. Fellowship. He wants in the worst way to know you, to get to know you, spend time with you. And that was David's one desire. He also wanted to get to know God, spend time with him. And that is a greater desire than anything else that you could possibly desire. Fellowship, right relationship with God. And that's why David had a heart after God, because that's God's heart after us. Doesn't need us, but he wants us. We need him and hopefully want him as well. But he doesn't need us, but he does want us. And want is higher than a need. It's a higher form of love because of this. He doesn't have to love us, but he chooses to. Wow. Wow. If you're thinking in your head that, well, this is why he loves me. (laughs) Wow. Because I could bring so much to the table. What can you bring? What can you bring? Nothing. That's why Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, but... So I want, you, I want you to understand, he doesn't have to, but he chooses to. And that's just awesome on his part. That's just awesome on his part. And so David wants, so understand why this desire is here. I got to bring in the presence of the Lord. I want him here with me, is what he's thinking here. So what happens? They try to move the ark and bam, judgment comes out. He's confused at this point and he's angry, you know. Sometimes we think, what happened to Uzzah? Well, I'm pretty sure he's in the presence of the Lord, okay? Yeah, he made a mistake, but it wasn't a a mistake that separated him from God for all of eternity or something like that. No. And so when we say, oh, poor Uzzah, I'm going, well, yeah, sort of. (laughs) He went to paradise, so that wasn't so bad, okay? And then when Jesus came and he took captivity captive, paradise is now up in heaven, so he's up in heaven with the Lord. So Uzzah, you know, Bummer, in a sense, that happened to you, but I also know that you're with the Lord right now. So, what happens here? Verse 10, check this out. 
So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David. But David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months. Why three months? I got goosebumps right now because I think the Lord revealed something to me about this that, that I'm going to share with you that I didn't get anywhere else. The Lord just spoke to me about it, and it's been awesome to go through this little Bible study to, to figure this out. But the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, Obed the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So, I, uh, I can't have him come here, so we'll put him at your house. <laughs> and as you placed him over there, God's blessing. God's blessing. Now, Obed-Edom. Who, who, who is this? Who is this person? Uh, uh, you know, what is this person doing here? Um, well, I would submit to you here that Obed-Edom is a Gentile. Because we're told Obed-Edom is a Gittite. Gittites are from the Philistine city of Gath. As a matter of fact, I think if you go over here to First Chronicles, or, oh man, I might have lost it. Yeah, First Chronicles 15. Let's see what it says here. Yeah, that's not it. Hold on. It was, it was all coming to me. Okay, where is it here? Oh. Hey, John, real quick, do this on your little fancy little computer there. Okay, 600 Gittites. Put that in, see where that comes up from Gath. It's when he's running from Absalom. 2 Samuel 15. Thank you. It was a 15. I thought it was in Kings. Okay. Now look what it says here. David escapes from Jerusalem. We're going to get there real soon here. Thank you so much, Dan. You're faster than the computer over there. Um, Verse 18. Then all the servants passed before him, and the Garethites, and all the Pelethites, and the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath, passed before the king. Now, there there is a mention of Obed-Edom as being from the household of the Levites in the book of Chronicles. But this isn't the same Obed-Edom. This is Obed-Edom the Gittite, okay? And Gittites are Gentiles. Gittites come from Gath. Gittites are from Gath. Probably Philistines is who they are. You might recall that um, David had close ties with the Philistine city of Gath. He was that vassal kind of king or captain with King Achish at a time. And so this is where he's from. And he has followed David over here to his kingdom. And his place of residency is the place that they put the Ark of the Covenant. The presence of God. Now... Why three months? Now, we always see three days, right, as the resurrection and things like that. I don't think this is speaking of the resurrection. I think this is speaking of the church. Dave, why do you think it's speaking of the church? 
Because it'd be really cool if it did. No. Well, that concludes today's edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Tune in tomorrow as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit with us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at 5 p.m. on Saturday evenings. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our Young Adults Ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at Calvary Castle Rock. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. For more information about us or this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Amen.